Thanks, are you ready Dad. to jump back into this thing, Jessica? Oh, are we doing a podcast here? <laughs> nah, I just had to like something on social media for my friend. As far as you go, Jessica, you just have a bunch of theories? Not like a complete theory. It's kind like, of late in the game for new theories, don't you think? Welcome to this episode of the Prestige-ish Media Podcast. This is our deep dive into True Detective Night Country, a.k.a. True Detective Season 4, Episode 5, Night Country Part 5. Please note this episode may contain spoilers of Seasons 1 through 3 of True Detective and Episodes 1 through 5 of Season 4. It may also contain speculation of Season 4, including coverage of any trailers or articles that have been released related to the show as of air date. Please note this episode may contain mature content, including cursing and inappropriate, albeit not funny, jokes. I'll be your host for this episode, Craig Lake. Co-hosting with me for this episode will be Jessica Z and Dan McNair. You can find our show at Prestige-ish Media on Instagram and Prestige underscore Ish on X. You can find me at Real Real Batman on both. You can find Jessica Z at Jobless Dog Mom and Dan McNair at Dan McNair 1017, both on Instagram and X. For listeners that want to stay with us after Night Country, we will be diving into the boys next as we make our way to season four of that show. We also plan on covering Fallout on Amazon, The Jinx season two, and House of the Dragon on HBO later this year. We hope you will join us for more episodes of the Prestige-ish media podcast soon. Now, without further ado, here's the episode. Welcome to the Prestige-ish Media Podcast. My name is Craig Lake, and co-hosting with me, we have Jessica Z. Jessica, how are you today? I'm fine. How are you guys? Did your kids roll in any poop today, or are they doing normal stuff today? No, they were, like, good and normal today. No new beverages, nothing. I noticed that you posted some Instagram photos of them. Yes, I did. Thank you for noticing. Dan, how are you today? Thank you again for asking, Craig. I'll tell you, I'm a professional cynic, but my heart's not in it. I'm paying the price of living life at the legal limit. What is the context of that? It's just something I wanted to say. I'm not expecting anybody to get the reference, but if you do. Alan Poe. Is it Hank Haiku? No, (laughs) very close. Some mid-90s blur. How was your Sunday at the, I only know who I think. I think that's Hank as well. How was the casino on Sunday? It was dead. We do have a lot of Niners fans around here and we don't have alcohol at the casino right now. So not a lot of reason when there's a big event to go unless you really don't like football. Now you can smoke in your casino, right? No, it's smoke free as well. Oh, that's cool then. That's a problem. Yeah, it actually, we're kind of a niche in that, but a lot of people, the people that like it really like it. Yeah, I was going to say, I can't imagine not drinking, but wanting to be around smoke. So at least avoiding <laughs> both, that could be, that could definitely be a pro for sure. So we're going to talk about Night Country Part 5, a little bit of a deeper dive on this episode. But before we jump into it, we just kind of wanted to set the table on where we're at after five episodes. Dan, did you have any revisions to any of your theories or suspects? Or I know you had some questions that you're kind of hoping to have answered in the next episode. Do you want to set the table for us? Yeah, I'd be happy to. We've been presented a lot of questions, a lot of mysteries, and 
some things bug me more than most, but we've only got one episode left to really get answers. There are some big questions that I absolutely just have to have neatly tied up in this episode. The first is a Danvers question. I want the answers to Holden and the whole twist and shout mystery. That's one thing where if this show ends and I don't know the reason for any of that, it's a failure. The second is we've got a lot of Navarro flashbacks and her time in the Middle East and her relationship with God. I need a better explanation of that tie into the show. And then the third thing is I got to find Clark in some ice tunnels and I need to see where Annie K died in the ice tunnels. And I need some of that explained for me. So those are my three main plot related mysteries that I'm, I'm hoping that they can answer for me in episode six. Now I know Jessica had a list. Was Clark on your penis size board that you were looking for answers on Jessica? No, the fact that Annie quickly became obsessed with him tells me what I need to know. I was just saying, maybe if we came across Clark with no lower bottoms, we could answer both your questions in one I still haven't seen any scientists' penises. I think you need to go back on your own time and explore. I do, and I just can't focus. Yeah, (laughs) so you had a secondary list of your hope fors. What is, what is that list? Look yeah, like? that's my wish list. These are things that might not necessarily be critical or essential to the plot, but questions that I've had since the beginning that I'm not expecting answers to, but still kind of nagging at the back of my head, if you know what, what I mean. And the first of those goes back to the first episode. Somebody calls Navarro and tells her about Annie Kay's tongue at the Salal station when there's very few people that know about it. I want to know who placed that phone call. I really want to know how that information got out. The second is I want more of the Blue King crab. I think there's backstory and nuance here. We've got, you know, a couple of people that work for Blue King crab that have been minor characters. I would like to see them emerge, step out of the shadows a little bit. And I'm hoping that Blue King give me some more details. And then the third thing that I'd like to see is a Stacy callback. I want to see Stacy somehow appear, come back, maybe comic relief. Maybe she's eight of the day. Maybe she's a killer. She she drunk drove off into the tundra, creating an ice slab event. I don't know. But we haven't seen Stacy since the first episode. I think seeing her name, the actress's name, I think she's like a Greenland local. I don't think she's American. Yeah, that that's what I meant. Iceland. Okay. Do you think that Stacy, maybe we see like a morning scene of her like banging on Hank's coffin or something like that? Wanting what one last ride on the Hank train before he goes under. (laughs) I I want to know what the point of her appearance was. It does seem like a little bit of buildup early where so many other things delivered where it was just left as a remainder scraped off the plate and into the trash. Yeah, I am wondering if, you know, it either ties back to Danvers issues with Holden and Jake, if that was some sort of DUI incident, maybe it it colors that a little bit. I still would would like to know who her baby is that won't talk to her. 
on your first one of this list, Dan, I would think if we don't hear anything that it probably would have been someone like Cooper or Lulu that would have told Navarro unless they specifically show us something. But I mean, I think at this point we can kind of rule Hank out. Yeah, I don't oh, think, definitely. I don't think it would have been Pete. I don't think it would have been Danvers. So I really realistically think we're probably looking at like a, a Lulu or a Cooper call out because we know at that point Lulu was contacting the families. So maybe either Cooper heard, overheard through that or, um, you know, maybe Lulu spilled the beans. That would be my guess. They've at least established with her some of these other characters that feed her info, like yeah. multiple characters. So at least if we don't get it, I'm just going to assume it's something minor like that. I was uh, thinking Lulu, too. Uh, I was thinking the Coast Guard. They, they could be in on it. Coast Guard knows all. They probably saw it before anyone else did. Before <laughs> before the station even got the call. They ID'd the, ID'd the tongue before it even went to forensics. <laughs> Dan, did you have any revisions to kind of your suspect list from last week or any theories you want to posit before we move on from Dan Corner here? You know, Kavik has cleaned himself up nicely. He was a big suspect for me early on. And this fifth episode really kind of blocked any momentum I might have had with those theories after the fourth episode when we did the deep dive. You know, everything's tracking at this point pretty much true to story. I mean, I gave up on Hank a long time ago. Unless he's coming back from the grave to make a great save, I don't think there's anything going on there. But, you know, I guess I should just say, like, eh, all of my theories were pretty much just bunk. You had a lot of eggs in the Hank basket, Dan. <laughs> that did not bode well for you. They all cracked and spilled all over the foyer. Like his brains. I guess that was the point. Jessica, do you want to take a few minutes to tell us where you're at? Thoughts on any questions you may have, revised theories, suspects, where are we at with old Jessica Z? I still think that it could be like the townswomen who got together and killed the scientists because they, I mean, they were like, some of them were cleaning the place. So they could have seen something that told them that they were allowing the miners to do cause that pollution that was causing the stillbirths. So they could have decided to do something about it themselves. So this would um, be like. Blair, Blair, Bucket no, Grandma, bucket Laundromat grandma. grandma. Laundromat Grandma, I believe she's hosting at the meetings because how else did Darwin draw Blair? Because pretty much his drawing of that sea witch was like Blair, the blue we're, hairnet. Just to be clear, we're thinking it's Blair because one, very specifically, she has three digits or some of her digits are missing. The and that photo ones from the picture, that, the two that there. Th that kind of matches the photo. And then what else are you saying matches from the photo that he drew? Blue hair. Um, the blue hair nut and then the fingers. I mean, who else? Exact two fingers. Where I'll give you some credit is um, I think, you know, he was with laundromat grandma when he drew those pictures. We see Blair go into the laundromat last episode. So there is there there's something that's possibly there. Oh, you know what? She could just do her laundry there. I didn't even consider that. <laughs> that might be like the first consideration, but at the laundromat. But the other thing that I was gonna say is I thought, who is the gal of the sea that you sent me the photo of, Jessica? What's the name of that? Sedna. I think there's something with Sedna in her fingers, too. Yeah, she was missing. See, but in Darwin's drawing, he only has those two missing that Blair's missing. If you look, but both explain hands to are our bleeding, listeners, our listeners, fingers are gone. God bless them, but our listeners, not all of them are on Reddit all day like you are or me or Dan. So explain to us who Sedna is. 
what you, your understanding of Sedna and her um, finger. Sedna and was, it's from Inuit. Can I say that? Yeah. Okay. Inuit mythology, folklore, whatever. She was a girl who refused to move out of her parents' house, even though they brought her a bunch of husbands. And she's like, now I'm going to stay here. And so her hunter father was really good at hunting, got fed up with her and took her out to sea in a kayak or whatever and put her overboard. And she tried to get back in and he took a little axe and hit her hands and cut off her fingers. Three fingers came off and became three different breeds of seals or something. And so she lives at the bottom of the sea and she rules over the area for hunters and she provides them with the their game. And if they pray to her and worship her, then she will provide them with lots of animals to kill. Now explain to me this finger thing, why you think they're different fingers than Blair's. Because there's only two and they're the exact same ones that... But like her dad hit both hands, I thought. And like... You're saying Sedna's, but, but Blair's, Blair's missing. only missing the two, and those are the two exact ones that Darwin draws falling off. Okay. So I, I do think it's possible maybe Darwin just saw something while he was staying with Laundromat Grandma, but your one idea that you have is there's some cabal of townswomen that are fed up with the pollution and are orchestrating together they killed the scientists and or and maybe to avenge Annie Kay as well. Yeah, that's all. Also, I like I don't believe that she went all that way to go to the dentist. And why wouldn't Kayla drive her? She's an old lady. It's dark all the time. How's she going to see? Where do you have any other theories that you want to posit or any other suspects? So I think Pete was either there or caused either either did Annie's death, caused it or was there for it and then called his dad to cover it up. So you've got Pete killing Annie Kay and then these women avenging her death and the mines with their cabal killing. Yeah. Or I guess the third one would be instead of, I don't know. See, I feel like we have so many questions about Lund still. Why was he so important? We know he funded the scientists. So I think we're going to find out more about if the scientists were doing bad things. I mean, we obviously know they're putting out fake pollution numbers. Anything else you want to hit on? I'm just wondering if we even, I, I'm wondering if we'll see justice for Annie. I'm thinking that we won't. I don't know, but we'll see. Yeah, I think that's interesting if we're going to get like a true detective finish where we get like a partial answer to something and the rest kind of goes unsettled or unsolved. I think I've got, I think I've got Blair and Pete on the board, Pete with McKittrick somehow. I still think that possible three-way friendship with Blair, Pete, or Blair and Clark and Annie Kay is possible. So maybe Blair either knew somebody killed Annie Kay, conspired with Clark later to get him out, and then that's how the scientists end up dead. Or maybe Blair was, like, haunting Clark, and that's what was making him go crazy. I don't know. Something's obviously going on with Blair, I think it's possible that there's more Pete ties to McKittrick than we've been led to believe. I think those are kind of my two top suspects for something going on in conjunction with McKittrick. I think the main reason I believe that is we know it's not Connolly with McKittrick. Hank is dead. It can't be Navarro's or Danvers. So who else could be tied to McKittrick that would make sense? Like I think we're out of people other than them presenting someone new. Or I think anyone who would need money in town. 
Yeah, but I mean, you could have a Kovic come into play. I mean, there, I, that's she always could have given possible. him the land for the restaurant or something or the money for the restaurant. I just think it could be one of those things. I think that's really all I got. I think to your point, Dan, I want to see the answers on the Holden thing and how Holden and Jake died and how Twist and Shout plays in. I have a hard time believing we're not going to see that. I don't know that we're going to get them all individually, but I think we're going to get some big tie-in with whether it's the Afghanistan or Iraq stuff and that girl and the listening God. I think it's going to be a little murky because I think it's all going to happen in one like bow tie up rather than answers to a lot of questions. I think they're just going to lead us to a resolution there. And I definitely think we're seeing Clark next episode. Okay. Now, Jessica, anything else on any of this? I want to know who Rose really is. Oh yeah. So that, that we got to know this episode. I, I mean, her us not knowing her name oh. has to bear fruit somehow. And I'd like to know about the catfish. Oh, you're talking Alina. about? Yeah, Thanks. I don't. Th- I have a hard time. What if she really comes? What if she comes this time? I think yeah. Dan and I really wanted her to come. So, All right. so did easy, Hank. Easy there. Yeah, um, and so did Hank. And Hank wasn't going to be able to do it on his own, but he brought his little bunny friend along. Oh, that was so sad. Oh, wait, now he's dead, so she probably won't come. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, that would be a great like closing credits. Uh, last thing is like we get all our answers. End of the credits, and a plane lands, and a Russian yes. woman walks off into Ennis. Like Hank, Hank. What if she thinks she was like catfished because he doesn't show up? Mm, the old maybe catfish, she, the catfish. Maybe she ends up with Pete because Kayla's off the board. All right. So let's get into this episode a the little bit more. The polar bear just eats her. <laughs> One-eyed polar bear with the vet. Vet bringing him in tow. So Night Country Part 5. There was a co-writer on this one. Her name is Katrina Albright. Not a lot of credits I'm familiar with. Maybe you guys are. There's a show called Shining Girls. She did episodes oh, on. Yeah. You are aware of that? I watched it. Did you like it? She's giving a <laughs> Did you just taste something was- terrible? It was fine. I think it had that girl from where they're all wearing like the bonnets and stuff. And they're like, Handmaid's Tale. Elizabeth Moss. Boom. There. I think it's with her. And honestly, I found it very confusing. There were a lot of like time jumps in that, but like unexplained. But I watched it. She also did a show called Blackout. Those were kind of the two more recent ones I saw. So we get that cremation scene to start. Did any of you guys have any more comments on that opening scene with the cremation? Dan, go ahead. Okay. What is our magic number for this show with the songs and things like that? It seems like it's seven. Yeah, and not like an eye-opening thing here, but I caught a couple sevens in the episode, and one of them was Jules' tag number has a seven in it. I mean, it's a four-digit number, so chances are 40% that you're going to see a seven. But did I actually, I think it's two, seven, five, one. I'm like, ah, there's a seven. What do you know? Just something I'm kind of keeping an eye on through this episode. Don't know if it means anything or not. What do they call those synchronicities or something? Or what's the other thing that girls say they have angel numbers or is that 11s or something? Oh, is that the 1111? I think it's angel numbers or something. I don't know. I think so. Girls, girls we'll have, do this. We'll have to ask a girl <laughs> next time we have one on the podcast. <laughs> I, it must be a West Coast thing. 
No, I think it's like some of the, you're not a big astrological oh, person. Maybe a Jersey, maybe a Jersey either, girl right? thing. You're not no, like, it's an, like a white woman's Instagram. No, I don't own, I don't own one crystal. Yet. Let's see. Angel numbers. It's when they're like three in sequence, I guess. So it's seven, 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 four. Your favorite. Maybe, maybe not that one. I know you were questioning how hot the urn was after the cremation. Did you have any other comments on this, the scene, Jessica? For the fans of that scene? I recommend what's that show that I love on HBO? How am I like blanking on everything today? Isn't it it's like kinda... Pretty Little Liars, Princesses? Six Feet Under. Yeah. Okay. Lots of cremation in that show. And it's just oh it's so good. People should watch it when the sh- when they're done with the show. I know you have time. I, so watch I think it. I originally said I thought the date flashes on Navarro's jacket, but it's actually like on a computer or a workstation that the mortician or whoever the lady is doing the cremating is. I feel okay. like that'd be harder to see. I it's still, not the whole black screen, but I still missed it two more times. So. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm just like, I know Dan's got this somewhere. Likewise. So. Yeah, I guess the only thing I have is like Jessica, I was wondering kind of how hot it really was. And then the second thing was just kind of this continual thing with Navarro where we see her navigating the system where there's always somebody to help her with something that is maybe even, maybe not underboard, but not quite above board. She's just always got to help her or somebody who's willing to kind of bend the rules for her or give her a phone call when they're not supposed to or whatever. Nothing major, but I just think that's consistent with Navarro. The only other thing I didn't see when she was sweeping that out, was it going into a trap? And was that trap what made the balls? I I wasn't clear the process that got us what was in the oven to the balls that they had into that next oven to give us the ashes for the urn. So I don't know a lot about cremation, but I didn't, it didn't totally give me a linear line of sight of we went from A to B to C. So I think they skipped a cremation step in there for me to kind of understand it fully. But that's all I had. You guys, anything else on your end? I think she, she probably just treats people nice. That's probably why she has... People go out of the way for her and help her when she does need help or you yeah. know, give her special access when she needs it. Slips them a $20 Oreo here or there. Yeah, uh, just niceness. Nothing else for me on the opening credits other than when you've seen that episode, that, that shot with the truck is very obviously where Hank and McKittrick met. We mentioned that on the instant, but that's all I really have there. I still couldn't see on the outside shots of the lighthouse that it says the lighthouse. Like, I just saw they're at a building. Where does it say Lighthouse? You need a bigger screen. Uh, no. So you know how Navarro's truck pulls up straight? There's a wall that it is facing the headlights that you don't get a long look at before her truck pulls up. Okay. And that says the Lighthouse, and it has kind of that, that logo. It's also on the lanyards and on the shirts of the staff. Once they're it's inside. On, it's on the lanyard that Danvers wears as like a guest pass. Cool. Did you guys have anything else on that initial scene with Heiss? I no. was worried that you guys would think that I thought he was hot because of what I said about Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> and I was going to text hot. you to be like, I don't. <laughs> but then <laughs> was... I didn't want to do that and have you be like, she's saying that because she does. Was Heiss <laughs> on your penis size you need answers for before the show's over list? Yes, he was. Was he really? Yeah. So I had maybe a couple... that helped him survive the injuries. How did you That's guys? That's what we're trying to figure out. How did you guys both feel about Heiss as a character overall? I think Jessica described it pretty well in the instant that 
he's very much the tropey junkie. And, you know, there's a lot of like common devices that it seems like his existence plays out. So if you don't expect a lot, he's ex kind of right in line with what I perceive that character to be. Jessica, any ads on your boy, Old Heist? No. Yeah. Okay. So when he's telling her, you know, it burned my eyes and then my ears went to shit. And they're like not, she's not talking loudly and she's not giving him a magnifying glass for the map or anything. He can see in here just fine. I think he's exaggerating his injuries. Do you think he's like Stevie Wonder? <laughs> I don't know. Like, how did your ears go to shit and then they're fine? But I guess Navarro's went normal, right? I meant more firstly, and I'll get into a few of his lines and we can dissect those, but him as a person, did you enjoy his character or not really? I didn't want him to die, but... I thought Heist was surprisingly fun. I enjoyed Heist more than I would normally enjoy a character like that. I think he played it cartoony enough that I had a good time with it. Would you uh, let him do a podcast with you? Before or after heroin, I'd have to I'd have to decide which was better. I'm not sure. Um, Depends how long the episode goes. <laughs> yeah, one thing I noticed is he had a ton of Kleenex, and I was like waiting for Jessica to chime in on that. She had asked him if he knew Clark from before. So I think it's, we mentioned a few of these lines, but I think they're relevant. No, I knew about the Tassol. I knew about Tassol, but I didn't know them in there. So that basically confirms he didn't really have any involvement with them in theory, which we had questions about that going into the episode. But like Jessica was saying, Clark was asking him how he survived his injury. So my question is, why would Clark be getting a hold of him? And why would he want to know? If how he survived his injuries. I think that's a relevant question. Because who's injured that needs help healing their injuries? Is it Clark? Was it for the other scientists? Is there somebody else we don't know about? So are you thinking they knew each other before recent events? Or they just met each other the first time I don't prior to Clark going into night I don't, I don't know. And I don't know that it matters. I For me, the question is what matters. Like, why is he asking that question? And when would maybe be would tie into the why, but I don't know either. So I can't really say, but was it something for Annie K is, does he, you know, we know he thinks maybe Annie K is still alive in, in theory. So like, is he asking more recently for Annie K? I don't know. I just think it's relevant why Clark was trying to find out how he survived his injuries, how Clark would attract him down. There's a reason that had to be happening. So I think that's relevant. I thought it was interesting. He didn't know what the night country met when sober. And she just mentioned that Clark kept saying she's awake a bunch of times. I don't really have a lot other than that, but I just think the reason why he's asking how he survived his injuries is pretty relevant there. That's all I really had on Heiss other than me enjoying him. We did get from Danvers what happened the day of your injuries. He talked about the cave-in, the men tr died trapped in ice. We ran out for help and there was a blizzard. So to your point, Dan, are these storms happening around these events? Is that you know, are those tied together? And then he said he heard something screaming, howling. So I think that's interesting in that if you look at what Danvers is seeing, she's seeing ghosts or people. Most people are seeing ghosts or people, but that screaming and howling is like, why are they hearing that? We've seen caribou go crazy. Is it related to the animals go crazy when these events happen? He wakes him in the hospital. He said ears all gone to shit, but I think you're saying, Jessica, they could have improved a little bit later. Like it could just be it blew his eardrums out. 
and on the eyes, it looked like one eye was clearly gone, but one eye didn't look too bad for or whatever that's worth. Weren't Navarro's ears bleeding too? Yeah. Which well, I made think it blow- look like her eardrums blew, and then she was like, fine. Did they go back to normal in a week? I don't think that quickly, but I think they heal, right, Dan? Do you have any eardrum experience? Nothing Please, there, but it is capable of healing, that's for sure. So I think I, that's all I got there. Um, she He does mention that the entrance is at the end of Bear Creek, the caves are collapsed, and the ice is like crawling on thin glass. So I think, obviously, we're going to see that thin glass type stuff bear fruit later. Did you guys have any thoughts on Navarro and Danvers exchange in the car where she's asking if you're up for this and we see Jules kind of buckled in the back. Danvers asks if she wants to talk about it and she says no. I get the feeling Danvers didn't really want to talk about it, but she was trying to give her an opening to. I thought it was cute that Jules was buckled in her little urn. Any thoughts from either of you guys on that? It was Not on that part like of the it. bottom. I Are thought you... that wouldn't hold it up if there was like actually any motion in the car. You didn't think she did a good buckling job? No. I feel like I probably tried to buckle my dog's ashes. Dan, what were you going to say? Later in this conversation, when Navarro's asking Danvers about Leah, there was one part that I didn't really hone in on the first time through, but that's about it from this interaction. Do you want to cover that one now, or do you want to get to it when we get there? Yeah, we can cover it now. In our instant reaction, we talked about Danvers through this episode and how we kind of see a little bit of the evolution in her character's thinking. And here she refers to Leah and her group as crazy radicals, which is kind of one extreme way to look at it, especially when you see where she kind of winds up at the end of the episode in terms of this. And Navarro kind of defends them like they're not crazy radicals, you know, um, stands up for them a little bit. But I just thought it was an important marker that Danvers thinking before these events that happen, this is how she's describing. Yeah, even within that one scene, though, I think Navarro kind of tricks quickly transitions to talk about the water. And Danvers actually says, I know. So I still don't know if it's more tied to like Danvers actual point of view or if she's just concerned with her daughter being tied in with this group because of you know, A, what can happen, like what we saw in this episode, what can happen just with that regard. And then B, obviously what we know has happened to Annie Kay. But even in that scene, when she talks about the water, she does acknowledge it. She says, I know, or something like that. So she's not totally unaware, but I definitely get what you're seeing. And I do think like even in that scene, maybe that's a contradiction. So that is a little interesting. Any addition on that Kayla packing Pete's bag scene, Jessica? No. Dan. No, we nailed that last time. Yeah. The only thing that I had on it, her exact quote was, he said, what's this? That's your bag. Please don't come back tonight. I didn't think that was like a real clear time frame on their breakup. I thought maybe that if, if it's going to be like, don't come back at all, but she's just, please don't come back tonight. Yeah. You know, I don't know about that. It is weird that she would kick him out that night that she knew she had to work at the laundromat laundromat and the like, grandma let him wa- stay to watch the kid like one and, and then kick him out when you don't need him and the grandma is in fairbanks 
Yeah, it just seems and like Leah's a... in jail. Where is Darwin? Literally, we can't. We have no. It seems like she's just trying to get him out of the apartment, <laughs> so she can host her witches meeting. Yes, yeah. No, it's so she can kiss the new dude on New Year's, like Jessica mentioned. So, do we think Dar Darwin is in some back room there at the laundromat? Then, because where else could he be? Yeah, I don't know who's watching him. I don't know if he has. Yeah, the grandma was the babysitter. So no. She's lying about grandma being gone because where the hell else is Darwin? He's not watching himself. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting. I mean, he could be sleeping in the back of the laundromat. Who knows? But it, it's definitely or interesting. grandma could have him off at some secret ritualistic He's meeting. He's probably just in the back room at the laundromat with her, That's with so grandma, cool. drawing. Grandma's in Fairbanks. Lying, no, grandma's not in Fairbanks. Be, she has to be watching Darwin. Grandma's off killing scientists. The cabal of grandmas. He doesn't just let anyone watch him. And that was a good point that Leo wasn't there. Yeah, she's in jail. Or the protest, soon to be jail. So we get this set up. This is, yeah, this is that scene you were talking about, Dan, where they're in the car. She's asking about Leah, Leah having a girl. And Dan was mentioned she has a girlfriend. Navarro says, I have a bunch of those. She follows up with the crazy radicals. Navarro says they aren't crazy. It's the fucking water. It's poisoning people. And Danvers says, I know. Just so we get Danvers at the cave entrance. She's still pissed, or Navarro is. Fuck, fuck this shit. Any second passes on that whole deal? Nothing. Yes. As a middle aged woman now, I did want to make a meme, but I don't know how that said me when I go to the grocery store and see that they've rearranged it. <laughs> <laughs> was a little bit of a Travis Kelsey reaction there. Oh. She kind of lost it. Um, Dude, he is out of control last night. Do you trust him with Taylor Swift, Jessica? I don't know. Maybe she like likes the mean bad boys. So the next thing we get is John Hawks is the actor. It is a song he made for the show. I am referencing a variety article for credit the song is allegedly no use he really didn't want to write sing or perform a song for the show and Issa lopez forced him so first i think he wrote the musical on it and then she's yeah but what if it had words and she just he claims that they almost got into an argument over it and she just kind of kept pushing him towards this performance piece his band that he has is rodney and john best i can tell they've been performing for about 20 years so that's some background on the hank song missed opportunity to hang some posters in chuck's dorm room yeah it should have been rodney and john in there yeah did you guys have anything on this you know we get kind of this cross scene here of hank singing and then the protest in the background anybody got any ads here did Pete, on the Pete second watch, I oh. I realized that it was the blue room that he was painting for his Russian bride. I didn't pick that up the first time, but as he starts playing, I went, Hank, live from the blue room. Okay. I, I missed that too. I just thought he was like in his living room or something. So that's good reference. Jessica, what were you going to say? I think, I think it was the living room that was blue. Oh, yeah, I'm like not sure. Every room. We do get a lot of blues and teals in the show in general, like the shed. I think Peter's underwear at one point. Didn't Pete say that he'd never heard his dad sing before? So that was like his first time hearing him sing. Yeah. Also yeah, the last true. time. And play his guitar or whatever. 
and then he like breaks his guitar string and i was thinking i didn't fully carry out the chain of thoughts like oh if i were gonna get christmas gifts for the cast of true detective night country i would get hank some new guitar strings and like a, a decent tinder membership and still- then I thought that could be a fun game to play for everybody, but I didn't keep going with it. Oh, you poor Hank when he logs Hank on. on the brain. <laughs> when he logs on and sees Danvers is like the only match nearby. And then he <laughs> like dr- drives the town over and she's still the only match. You're um, right. She's like getting closer because she's banging got, a like, dude over there. Bucket grandma, laundromat grandma, knitting grandma, Danvers. And um, Stacy yeah stacy i did think it was like interesting kind of the i guess one of the refrains on the song was forever bound to lose so what's the use so i guess this is just like his lost like post bride not coming song we did talk about kind of how that that transition in the protest went and it looked like after leah threw and hit that navarro in the head one of the SWAT officers grabbed her. I thought he went to the nightstick pretty early. Eventually, when Navarro came by, she said, hey, she's a fucking kid. And then he said, "We." I said, I thought she called him, he called her a bitch or something, but he said, what the fuck, Navarro, and is kind of what led to their fight. The only other thing, I guess, it just was like a little unreal. Like, it was interesting, the Pete and Hank exchange outside the house when Pete's right there, that like he couldn't hear Pete, that he said he was working on his truck. If I was Pete, I probably would have just said, I'm basically there already. I was driving your way anyway, but he's just going to wait for five minutes. I just thought that whole exchange was super awkward for sure. Maybe yeah. he like wanted to sit and listen to his dad play He'd never if he'd never heard of it. I didn't catch that on my first watch, but I was like, wait a second. This is new to him. Dan- he probably thought he was entertaining a man. <laughs> One thing that I did kind of catch that was funny is we see all the protesters kind of like gearing up and getting ready to march and everything like that. And there's a guy with a, he's like running the sign stand where everybody comes and picks up their protest sign, but he's only got six signs there. We've got 300 people and he's trying to look really busy, like moving around the six signs, you know, he's cooking hamburgers for, you know, the masses. And I'm like, dude, you you have no signs left. What's the urgency? What are you doing? I did notice, I think Leah had maybe two signs herself coming in and she looked pretty amped for the whole thing. Jessica, could you tell better in the second watch that there was more than one cop with Navarro? I still feel like it only showed Navarro in the van. You need to not watch it on a phone, Jessica. Watch it on a big TV. I'm watching it on a TV. Industrial. Craig, you're going to have to send us big TVs so we can do better. (laughs) jessica has a big tv my parents have a big tv so i still thought it was a little interesting that Connolly was on the phone he did say that the meeting was about the protest right he doesn't hint no he kept it's about other things he kept skirting around it but yeah he kind of implied about he was talking about being pissed about the protests and then basically that mckittrick should be asking to see troopers and she's she wants to see you do you need to meet us? But he didn't say we have footage. He didn't hint. Yeah, he didn't anything say else anything other about the protest. Yeah, he just let her keep assuming that without correcting her. He just kept being like, she's pissed. And then she's like, but it's not even my territory. She wants to talk to the chief. He, yeah, he let her go in there completely blind. And then Navarro's calling, that's going on. And I think the real big 
key to the fact that they were going to book Leo was when she said, really, because I fucking will, to Danvers. We get this exchange with um, Navarro and Leah where they're both like, what the fuck were you doing there? And Leah being like, whose side are you on? That's where the Jesus Christ I'm actually feeling for Danvers quote came from. I do think that Leah calls them fucking pigs a lot for somebody who's like the daughter slash stepdaughter of the chief of police. I just think it's a wild, a wild stance to take. I think they are hinting at a larger, more widespread problem with violence between minors, cops, and pro-minors and anti-minors. But I feel like they're not doing a good job of showing us that because Navarro and Danvers are like very adamant and just everything they say makes it seem like it's very extreme. But we haven't seen extreme on either side. I don't know if violence is the right word, but I would say tension would be maybe the word I would the violence like, isn't a lot there, of then tension. what are they afraid of? Like, why are we they did see the so bar fight at Kovacs a couple episodes. Yeah, yeah like, that was like one, two I men. Think I think it's like bubbling is the point. And when it bubbled over the last time, that six, seven years ago, a girl ended up murdered, you know, one, potentially. One murder in six years and, and they're terrified terrified of her being a part of it. I mean, she looks similar to the picture. She's probably in a similar age range, maybe a little bit younger. I don't think Navarro's terrified of it. I think it's just really, you know... Navarro Danvers... being like, I actually feel sad for Danvers. I think she, she just meant because Leah's being such a pain in the ass is what she meant. Yeah, but she's in implying that Leah's not picking up on something either. No, I think she's just implying that she's a hard-headed pain in the ass. Did, what was your take on that specific line about... I'm feeling for Danvers right now, now, Dan. Oh, I totally thought that she was, it was an eye roll. You're being a brat. You're causing gray hairs and stuff like that. Like she's just a mouthy kid. And even though Navarro probably is more in line with her belief system, I think that's the point is she's such a mouthy brat that she's making Navarro feel sympathetic to Danvers, even though she's more sympathetic with Leah's side on things. I think she was just sick of listening to her. And you can see that when she's calling Navarro a fucking pig, when she's the one that got in a fight with another trooper just to get him off of her, protected her, and she's still bitching about basically everyone. Seems like an extreme reaction for a five-minute drive, but I guess she, like, threw something at her head, so maybe she started the drive, like, annoyed with her. Yeah, and I mean, she's they've, they've all known each other. Like, all these people have seen each other before, so they're familiar with each other's work. Danvers confronted pete like maybe he was covering for leah and he knew about her going to the protests and pete obviously says that he wasn't so that's how she finds out that he had got picked out kicked out i did think i know we're like kind of trending away from the you need a place to stay like from the danvers and pete hooking up thing but it did almost seem like danvers maybe thought there was like some fresh meat back on the alaskan scene for her from for her just like the way that scene was played i thought it was played a little funny from her. We got from Leah, you mentioned it briefly, but we didn't really go into it. The coop book me, will you? And so once again, this is like all some of this like small town behavior. You couldn't go into a normal police office and tell them to book you, but both the relationship from her to Danvers and the fact that this is such a small town is where you get a scene like that. Did you have anything on the second pass through on the Leah booking scene, Dan, or any of that other stuff going on? No, didn't have anything new there. I think 
Danvers just loves to be right and I told you so or whatever and she's been like telling Pete that all marriages end in divorce like all season so she was just like, oh you get divorced oh really I don't know she just still don't well, like her I remember <laughs> her telling I remember her telling his wife that she would be sick of him soon enough is kind of the key scene that I remember but I, I that sounds like something she would tell Pete but I don't remember like other scenes like that other than one, the one with what's her name Kayla. Kayla yeah I do recall that yeah she had um, like one with Pete where he was like you're gonna she's gonna divorce me or whatever and she's like, you're welcome for you know speeding it up or whatever so this is where we do get that it's not all bad though take a look at this this is the thing that you've been looking for. We kind of covered that before with the LLC and the tax returns. Tuttle United. Did you have anything on that second pass, Dan? No, I just think Pete's, you know, pretty thorough at doing this sort of thing. And he's proven it here again. Jessica, anything on this? Here's a question. Are there any cops in town that do any work other than Pete? Selena Gomez would tell us that somebody who wants to stay close to the crime is always a suspect. Any second passes on that, Leah bringing the Pepsi or, or prior bringing the Pepsi to Leah in jail? Did you guys have any takes on that second pass through? You were talking about some of the graffiti. Yes. And there was, I, I think I confirmed the things that you were seeing before. And there's also a game of Hangman where I don't know how you can play Hangman with one person unless there's two people coming and going from the cell like constantly every other day. To move it along. I did notice there was something from Issa Lopez on that. Oh, so there's a drawing in there. It's like a shark on a penis behind her. And I guess it's in Scorsese's movie After Hours. And a few people spotted that and she did clap emojis and well spotted and stuff. Whatever that's worth, if you see a shark latched onto a guy's penis, that's what's going on with that one. I've never heard of that movie. I'll have to upgrade the art in my bathroom when I don't have little sharks anymore. Little sharks eat penis. So I did notice there was a Cheetos Twisted. They were like kind of these twisted Cheetos that I don't recognize. Was it like product placement? From America? <laughs> I was walking through the store today and I saw Cheetos pretzels. And what? I was like, wait a minute. Was what I saw in that episode, were they trying to do some like advanced advertising to create a demand for this product that hasn't come out yet because it doesn't look like my normal Cheetos and I know Cheetos pretty well. Yeah, I I mean, sometimes there's more region-specific items, but if not, I would expect it's an item that's about to come out. I did try the Cheetos pretzels. They're okay. Nothing amazing, nothing bad. They're, you know, I would say the bag I got was too big. I could have just done with a few of them and that was enough. Does it leave you with as much Cheeto residue on the fingers? I was going to say, if not more. <laughs> like Really? <laughs> I was heavy Cheeto hand after those things, man. That's the thing they need to fix, if anything. Almost so much that I didn't want to eat anymore because I was just tired of having shit on my hands. <laughs> right. Did any of you guys have anything on the second pass of the skate scene and him falling on his ass and that kind of thing? No. I. You know, if we're going the Pete as a villain route, this seems to debunk that a little bit, but yeah, I would agree. Very convenient timing here to place it to make you look the other direction, dude. He yeah. let his whole team down and ruined their record. How's that <laughs> not a villain? 
Yeah, I would agree with you, Dan, that it that could go either way in the establishing. The the two other things that I noted that we didn't mention maybe on the instant was she talked about him having a goofy smile on his face when he fell. And that's like part of what she fell in love with. And so I think that's consistent with him not wanting to feel like this, you know, town idiot or whatever he's perceived uh, as sweet the, idiot. The other thing though, that I did think was relevant to it. She said, she just misses that guy prior. Don't let, don't let root good God almighty. Don't let Liz ruin that guy, okay? And then she said she's not good with people she cares about, which we got that line in the trailer. But I thought it was interesting. Don't let Liz ruin that guy. I mean, I don't think Liz ruined it for him, but he's not going to be the same after what we saw in this last yeah. episode. There's no way he can be going forward. So Danvers is headed to meet with Connolly McKittrick. I do think it was interesting that Danvers just passes kind of right through the receiving or entrance of the mine. Yeah. So I don't know if that's, she's been there before. She just doesn't give a fuck or what the reasoning she, is. She blows off the receptionist. <laughs> yeah. And she immediately goes into the mess at the pro the mess at the protest is on the troopers running a shitty outfit, not on APF, not on me. It seemed like she was going to go right into that evidence she had, which once again, I just think is wild. And then this is where they take her to that video of the restricted area. Did any of you guys have anything on this second pass through? The video footage, the camera, it was zoomed in times 57. Okay. Interesting. And we got Jules's tag number was 2751. So we got the seven and the fives. I don't know what it means, but that same number turned around. And it was Dude, they have NASA cameras. Well, they, crazy. they have money. It was 9.15 in the morning, so we got a five, but not a seven there. Dude, mm. think about how expensive that camera is, though, just to watch that closed mine tunnel entrance. Well, yeah, because if that's where the secret that's going to blow up your entire mining empire well, is, a, you, yeah, you yeah. need to have it under camera surveillance. So I did think, once again, like I kind of mentioned it in the incident, but I didn't maybe articulate it really well. Really weird to have McKittrick leading the interrogation of the chief of police almost. So she's asking her what led you to that location. You know, she's kind of asked why they're there. She's asking a lot more questions than you would think would be allowed of somebody in her position. I just found it to be an interesting dynamic. She didn't have to give the name Otis Heist, did she? Yeah. That's and, what I was thinking. She killed him. I mean, she gave a lot of information that I think she should have just given maybe some, but the, the information she gave, I didn't think was positive. As you mentioned, Dan, they said it was a slab avalanche, I think. Is that what they called it? Yeah, something like that. They also refer to it as a weather event a lot. Yeah, and their excuse was the last sunset. They went out to watch the last sunset of, you know, before the sun went down <laughs> for a while. Nakedly hold hands and watch the sunset. <laughs> they mentioned ruptured eardrums, flash freeze, fatal hypothermia causes hallucinations. You know, as we mentioned before, Danvers confronts them to the point that McKittrick says she's going to leave her alone with Connolly. And then that's where, as you mentioned in the instant, Dan, she kind of, Starts going off about what was it, Bill being such a bad lay, that terrible lay, you have my sympathies, et cetera, et cetera. And then um, on second watch, Connolly's reaction, he does like a double take. And yeah. it's another comical, goofy, three stooges kind of move. 
And after watching him run and pantomime to brush his teeth in the previous episode, this guy is not a good candidate for mayor. You can't vote for Colin. You got to vote McNair, mayor of Venice, 2024. This, he barely knows. You have my vote. Thank you, Jessica. If only any of us lived in Alaska and could vote. If you promise I don't have to see your white ass with dammers, I'll vote for you too. I can't promise um, that. <laughs> I'm, I'm holding my vote. He probably I'm gonna, could. I'm going to vote third party. <laughs> so we do get that the, I think the Wheeler case was three years ago. I'm not positive I have that on my timeline. It might have been in Jessica's expansive Reddit timeline, but I don't think it had I had it on mine. But he mentions the Wheeler case being three years ago. You and your partner, Navarro, white male, murder, suicide, except there was no suicide. So once again, mentioned the incident, but I just think they were fucked there. And then that three years ago, I think at least gives us a little bit idea of the timeline there. So we have to assume then that also Navarro might have been pursuing that Annie case K case with her for three years. That much later, yeah. You know, prior. So I think that's maybe a little bit longer than we were expecting. And do we think Danvers got there six years ago? Because if so, that's they were working together for about three years. I think that's longer than maybe we were expecting as well, for whatever that's worth. We get that second scene or that scene with McKittrick and Henry or Hank. So to your point, Dan. McKittrick always calls Henry or Hank Henry and Pete Peter. I mean, I think those are pretty formal uses of names that implies maybe a more personal relationship with both of them. I mean, certainly we, we know there's more of a relationship with Henry, but I was just kind of curious there. That's probably the best, but it could just be her thing to always call people by their formal names the same way coaches always yell last names. What did she call Danvers? And they're meeting. Elizabeth? I know, but that would stand to reason. I don't, she probably called her a flaming C word. Some of the things we got out of this, it was Hank, just, he wouldn't say much, but he said kids should not be getting married that young, is what he said about Peter. What we get out of McKittrick is Danvers is not going to let this go. She's looking for the location of the cow talk murder. So obviously that's what we're looking to hide is that location which we kind of generally know, but that's another confirmation. She's mentioning that Otis Heiss could lead her there. So what is Otis? what did Otis really know besides just, I guess he was just generally would lead her there? He mentions Connolly's a political animal and he's weak, which makes me think that Conley hasn't been involved in some of the previous things. And um, his campaign is weak too. We got kind of that motivation from Hank Henry being the chief of police. She says, we paid you well. You promised me chief of police. She says, this time it's different. He says, I'm not a killer. She says, I didn't say those words. Do you understand me? I think she makes him say those words that she didn't ask him to kill her, kill Heiss. I think that shows somebody that's pretty experienced in these exchanges, if not over paranoid. Does that give you any clues to the type of person McKittrick is, Dan? I mean, you could say she's a ruthless business person, just the same but yeah, there is a level of detail in how this conversation's going that seems highbrow for a town like Ennis. Yeah, like she's had these conversations before. She kind of closes on, you do this and your job is yours, but I'm counting on you. Henry is kind of that last personal ask. Did you have anything else on this, Jessica? It makes no sense that she lives there. And we don't know if she married into money. 
is McKittrick her maiden name and or is her McKittrick her married name? So is her maiden name like a Tuttle question mark? Is that why they're tied in with the Tuttles? I would be curious if we're gonna find that out. I just as soon as I had any money, I would leave. But you own the town. There is something about being a big fish in a small pound. Everybody is kowtowing to her. She gets whatever she wants. She can place local political figures. Like, the town is her waster. We move on to the Auld Lang Syne at the laundromat. So I will say this. I get that's a washer. But on that first show, those clothes are really fucking dry for having just been run through the dryer. I did notice later when they're loading them into the basket, they look a little more limp and wet, but I'm telling you those fucking clothes are bone dry in that washer. Dude, that's did how not, like, the industrial but, washers are. They like wring your shit till they're practically dry. dry. There, there was even a broken dryer in the background. You've got a wall of dryers that are all like wall mounted. And one of them's got like an X of tape across it. And it looks like Professor X's wheelchair has been like mounted on the wall there. What experience do you have with laundromats, Dan? Have you had to use them at any point in your heyday? Very rarely. Like I've been in apartment buildings where there's like a coin op, just like one or two, and you've got to share it with the rest of the apartment building. But to go to a laundromat on a regular basis, not since I was in the dorms, you know, trying to use the dormitory laundry facilities. Have I really had to do anything like that? Jessica, what about you? Any laundromat experience? Yeah, when I lived, before I bought my house last year, I used to go to the laundromat like all the time because we had one washer and dryer for the entire apartment building. I mean, it was only eight units, but 75% of them didn't work. So they just had first freaking pick of that. They would leave their stuff in it all the time. They would, I would put my stuff down there so they would know that I needed to do it. But no, they would just start another load while my stuff was right there being like, hey, don't take my spot. And no, they would. So I was like, whatever, I'm never doing laundry here again. I'm just going to go to the laundromat. And then I could do everything at once. It was nice. And now I just bring heavy comforters there. How about you, Craig? I was gonna say now I know Gary kind of does most of your laundry so your laundry days are kind of behind you it's not something you really have to worry about anymore so that that must be nice Um, I think Gary's hands would fall off if he ever touched laundry (laughs) that's funny though that they had the broken dryer because that just makes it seem like a realistic laundromat (laughs) yes I don't have a ton of laundromat experience like when I moved to Florida I was staying at a kind of like motel-ish place oh where my I had God, to, you lived in a motel an for extended like stay 30 days I was and it wasn't an extended stay so it was kind of a situation getting re-upped there um it was one yeah like it was like they're like we can't let you stay here anymore and I was like really? I don't want to go anywhere else because I, I had my dog set up so I didn't want to keep moving all my stuff it was a pain mm. in the ass But I mean, like I would use that one. I was going to say the most unique laundromat I've been around, though, in Steelville, Missouri, where my family had a campground, there was a subway slash. So it wasn't (laughs) big enough for its own subway, but it was big enough for a subway slash laundromat. So that was probably my favorite laundromat I've seen. So as you mentioned, Jessica, we do see Kayla, who's covering for Laundromat Grandma, who is at the Crentist in Fairbanks. And as Kovic and Kenny find her, Blair walks in the background and is doing her laundry. 
she found out about the rock and what he was cooking. The guy <laughs> said his grandpa taught him to walk away when he saw those. People would leave them as a warning for hunters, places where the ice would swallow them whole. You had some skepticism in our first watch that you thought this guy was involved in something, Jessica, or there was something nefarious to this. Do you... I had nothing to add until you said something about Heiss having a lot of Kleenex. And this guy was wiping oh, yeah. his he nose was... the entire conversation. This will what's making he their noses coming down run? He's Carolina. been in the night country. He's been in the night country. Do you need to do drugs to go into the night country? Question. Oh my God, maybe they are all doing drugs. Maybe that's where McKittrick's making all her money. I don't know. but um, On the underground crank. Yeah. Wouldn't that be crazy if they just like, found a massive crack, natural crack rock? I don't think you can grow opium up there. But I guess if you had like, a giant facility, underground facility to make drugs. Oh my god! But I don't know. But yes, he was, his nose was running the entire time. That's a good point. And uh, I didn't notice Heist doing that, but you said. Uh, anything else on this other than the, the tissues, Dan? You got to wonder about the Blair sighting. You got to wonder about do, that. Do you guys mean the person that you guys both described as very insignificant in episode two? Is this the same Blair you yes, guys are talking same about? Yes, Oh, okay. Just making sure that I'm gonna I have had. to listen to the episode two pod one more time. You tripled down on it for sure. Yeah, I was rude about it. <laughs> you, yeah, <laughs> it, it's going to be a fun one next episode for sure. I, I look forward to it. Do we have any second passes on this Navarro and Danver scene where... Navarro kind of confronts Danvers on the case and how it connects everything and the rock and Danvers is trying to shut her down and basically saying it's over. Connolly's shutting us down. Did you have anything on the second pass, Dan? I don't think I picked up anything here more than the the first time. Jessica. I'm just embarrassed my hands. I can't think of anything else. To the listener, Jessica (laughs) has just sent us 75 pictures of her hand. It's like we've gotten more high fives than an NBA game. I mean, she's sending them all to you. I have no hand photos. They're on Facebook, Craig. Oh, okay. I'm definitely not. I'll check that after the show. With that's good when you you have your lotion. The amount of jokes, but while we're here, yeah. The only thing I really had is just kind of reemphasizing the quote from Navarro at the end here. Danver says, just let her go, it's time. And Navarro says, no, you carry her now like I did all this time. You carry Annie like I did every day. You're leaving her alone in the cave in the dark. You, she's yours now. So I just thought that was an interesting transition and pass from Navarro to Danvers there. What if what if Navarro was too passionate about the case and they sent Danvers to Ennis to kind of derail that passion? I do think there's something to the angle of how that case got shut down. And I'm sure it was by the encouragement of Connolly. There's no way he wasn't involved in shutting the Annie K case down. I do believe well, that. It never got shut down, right? It just grew cold. Yeah, I mean, they had the, I mean, the file was removed in Hank's house. So I think it was pretty well, well that's shut down. The evidence but I mean, that's the point of one it. of the points of why they moved Navarro was to shut that down. I'm no, sure that was because she requested a transfer because she. I still don't. I think she, she none of us still believe. Yeah, was, yeah. She was removed from that case. Yeah. Oh, so it was a lie that she requested a transfer. I never have known where you picked that up from. When they said that 
when Danvers told Pete that she requested a transfer after the Wheeler case. I, I think she said she was transferred. I don't know yeah. if there was a request in there. Yeah, I don't believe it was a request, though. I mean, I think she just was transferred. Navarro, after that conversation with Danvers, lets Leah out. She says, is Liz letting me go? Fuck Liz. I don't really have anything else there. Hank is immediately on Pete saying, hey, what's that about? Family stuff, you know. He's just sitting there and Pete's like, you need anything. And then this is when Hank brings up that incident at the ice. I did think I had this in my head, but I didn't want to rely on my memory when we were on the last one, but he was nine when he fell through the ice. And that just seemed, I think you had seven, seven or eight, nine was not mentioned, but I didn't want to say nine because nine seemed too old for him to not to remember. Seven made more sense for him not remembering than nine. Neither one makes sense for him to not remember. The younger he is, the more sense it makes, I guess is what I would say. But anyway. If you were in like a house fire. I'm the worst. You, you can't ask remember. me. You can't ask me because I remember stuff from when I was two. So I'm the worst person to ask about this. Dan, what was your take on this scene, the second pass through? I kind of just breezed through it because already in my mind, I'm convinced that Hank is trying to structure a narrative to Pete. Pete is a valuable chess piece in between Danvers and Hank and you know this is he Hank might have played the song earlier but the song he's been playing all year is blood so your take on this is it's more of him trying to play the emotions of Pete for his needs yeah same as he was with the ice skates same as now all of a sudden he wants to come over and be part of Darwin's evolution and yeah, it's just him making desperate grabs of a desperate man at a desperate time. Jessica, did, I know you've had a lot of different theories on this. <laughs> Do you want to put a bow on your feelings on this Hank descriptive scene here? Dude, I know I sent you guys a text on it. You well, sent get, nine you texts. Give us your you want to narrow it down to one? I just think that it's got to be significant because they spent a lot of time on that story they spent a whole scene just on that story and they like recreated it and everything with a flashback to hank chopping through the ice but we don't see the flashback of pete falling through or pete even being there or skating we don't see skates we see nothing we don't see pete him pull pete out we literally only see him picking through the ice and it's the busiest episode of the entire season with the most information that they've given us in an episode so far. And they spend a whole several scenes on, well, a whole scene and flashbacks on that. So I think that it's significant. I don't think that's what really, what really happened. And maybe he's alluding to something else that Pete knows what he's referring to. Can I jump on you for a second? avoiding here? talking about it. Did you have something, Dan, before I... No, I think I think this is actually some critical viewing from Jessica and some good points. Yeah, I'm going to steer it slightly different. I think you have some good points, but I think the reason why they showed it to us is, I mean, we already know from the trailers we're going to get Danvers in the ice. And so if they've got an ice picker out of here, or I just think they're setting the table for how it's going to be somebody getting getting somebody out of the ice with the current. Because they mentioned the current taking him away and him having to rush ahead and break through the ice to break him out of the ice so i think more than us going back to something with pete and hank who's already dead i think maybe we're gonna get 
how difficult it is to get somebody out of the ice that slips into the ice and starts getting drugged by the current. That's my It can be that it. hard. You've seen Hank's arms. And also, I just thought maybe it was alluding to something else. Maybe Pete went under for another reason. Maybe it was Annie he was referring to and Pete was with her and they fell through the ice while they were looking for that mine or something. I just feel like it's more significant than what we think yeah right now i would say two things are possible so it's possible we get like a wrap-up scene with pete at the end where he remembers that scene and either remembers his dad rescuing him or his dad like neglecting him on the way to rescue and maybe that's how they wrap up pete's feelings with his dad that's very possible it's possible we get something with annie k or it's possible that you know it's going to relate to cadavers going in the ice later i think those are really the three possibilities of what we can get out of that. Next, we get the Warm Shadow by Fink. Dan, I know you're a big Fink fan. You've been to at least several of the Fink concerts. I like uh, Fink more than Pink. Oh. <laughs> so Danvers is late at the office. It looked like she was packing up the Salal file boxes to kind of wrap up that case. And then kind of sat at her desk, I think, with the ice maps. So I think we kind of see her in her process kind of contemplating where she's at here. But I think that's what I saw there. Did you guys, when you first saw Navarro and Rose breaking into the ice, did you think they were doing that for the urn or did you have any other thoughts? I thought at first she brought Rose out there to help her break into the ice caves or something. And I thought that I thought was... That too. I thought that was pretty funny, bringing Rose to bring it, break into the ice caves. Dan, did you think the same thing? And it was just less than a minute after you see the flashback of Hank using the ice pick. And then, yeah, there was a little Danvers interlude. But then you see another ice pick in play right away. And you guys seem to pick up that it was Rose right away. I actually thought it was Danvers with her first watch. And the other thing, too, just kind of with that prior scene again, like, I just think we're setting up some dangers of the ice in this next scene. We get a crack in the ice and they're kind of just like really playing. And once again, rightly or wrongly, I think everybody knows Danvers going in the ice in the next episode. And so I think they're just setting some of these stakes here. So we kind of joked about it, but they put Rose's ashes in the water. Here you go, baby Rose's girl. Rose's dad, Jules. Oh, <laughs> and say baby well girl be. with some respect on that. We get another, we get our last, here you go, baby girl. Oh boy. They said it was a category four storm, but like, I can't really identify. Do you guys have like category four storms in Rochester or is it like a category four no. blizzard? Cause like, I've only heard. But we don't live on the ocean. Go ahead, Dan. I will. In recent years, like the weather channel has really started naming winter events and things like that. So I thought it was along a weather channel type way that they measure the severity of however dangerous whatever the weather event that's coming in is. It's yes, like I view the different categories as like a tornado or a hurricane or things like that. It looks like they have but cyclones. It's not a big leap of logic to name a weather, a winter storm categorically the same way from yeah i had looked up alaska cat four and i just saw a reference to a hurricane in like september or august i know that and those are super rare up there but it was like an event tied to a hurricane so i couldn't find like a category four or nor'easter or something like that or i don't know if it's a nor'wester in alaska or nor'nor in alaska or what it is <laughs> 
Jessica, did you have anything else on this? It looks like they're called cyclones. In the, I don't know. I think it's got to be more like they should have just said that they got a nor'easter coming, and I would have known what. The I don't fuck think they would call it a nor'easter out there. Are they probably put our nor'easters to shame with their storms? So to your point, Dan, she heard Evangeline listen and starts walking. To our point on the instant, we really don't know how far she's walking. It seems like she walks farther than what we see. She kind of flashes into that Iraq, Afghanistan stand place. And as she comes back to in the current timeline, the ice breaks and Rose kind of rescues her. She says, what the fuck were you doing walking into the sea like that? I called you back, but you didn't hear me. So once again, I mean, I think this is all relative to her being called into the wilderness or whatever the hell is going on here. Anything else from you guys here? I did a hallucination tally mark sheet for this episode. Danvers has, has one. her own tally whacker mark. We should mark. play hallucination bingo. Danvers has one. I think this is the third of Navarro's four. And me trying to figure out. In this and... episode or you're saying for the season? In this episode, because What's I'm Danvers trying to figure one? out. I don't remember. I think it says she's talking to Heist. She has a Holden flash, flashback. Okay. She, she has some sort of a flashback early on. Navarro okay. has seeing Annie Kay at the rally. She has this. She has the girl that stops in the middle of the intersection and points at her. And I can't remember what the fourth is because I was just making tallies. I wasn't actually writing detailed descriptions. You need better tally whackers. Uh, I have some questions for you, though. On the Navarro ones, do you think, do you put any other level of significance on the Annie K one at the protest scene? I don't have any extra significance. It's just, it marks her as a more unreliable narrator to me because we're seeing things that nobody else is seeing. So we're not there yet in our timeline, but we can talk about it now. Do we think she saw that girl or didn't see that girl? I think she saw the girl, but I don't know that the girl necessarily stopped and pointed at her and was possessed the same way that Lund was. That's what I thought. And I didn't know if she was possessed or if it was like a Haley Joel Osmond moment or like that in girl. In Tusk or in the Sixth Sense? On the Osmonds variety show. But I didn't know if she like, you know, just we know maybe people like Rose or some people are more sensitive to things. Maybe that she was pointing. What I noted on that scene is in that scene, we see a flashback to Lund pointing. We see a flashback to that girl pointing and we see a flashback. We, to girl. we see Lund, the little girl, the her mom, and then the dead Wheeler girl. Yes. So of those, the only ones that we know were actually dead at that time were the Wheeler girl. The other three at the time of the alleged point memory were actually alive, which is just, I mean, I don't know. We None of us know what significance it has at this point, but I yeah. just thought it was relevant that three of the four were actually living pointers. Whether she really saw them point or not is another story. No, but... You do bring, you do like hint at something like, could somebody be temporarily possessed in an exorcist type way where they're a vessel to yeah. speak to Navarro? And, and then, and I took more as some of them as vessels, but that little girl could have just been in tune with the same stuff Navarro's in tune with. Cause it, it didn't seem like an aggressive point. A mini like it, rose. Yeah. Like a mini rose, but like, it just seemed like a point, like it wasn't like a evil point. Like, like a rosebud. 
actually, okay, Craig. It's okay. all Citizen Kane. Okay, okay. because Nicki Minaj. The mom okay. was like, because the mom was like, "Come on," to the kid. Yeah. So the kid did stay and stop. At least stopped. Yeah. Yeah. Stopped and stared. Do you think Travis Cole has ever been kissed by a rose on the wind? On the wind? Question mark. Who knows? I don't know what that or was it an Alaskan seal? Oh, there we go. I think Raymond no. Clark's hiding in plain sight as Rose. He's wearing Rose's skin like inside. <laughs> oh of my the god, no, not like that. Or in Tusk. <laughs> we're gonna see we're gonna see Rose Bush this next episode. It's just his uh, beard. <laughs> I think I think Dan has has just about snorted his beer on the episode. Any second pass on Danvers going for Leah in the bubble bath, telling her to come home for New Year's. I didn't see anything here I that we didn't talk about before, but I do think these are pivotal moments in the Danvers character, maybe a little bit more so than you guys do. That's where I lean. Yeah, I mean, obviously for me, the biggest thing is she brings up the nine stillbursts in three months and kind of makes Danvers, I think, more aware. I think Danvers was aware of a few, but not like the number of nine in three months. I did think it was funny when Danvers was asking, is that bruises? Leah says, don't be dramatic. It like it doesn't suit you or it's not like you or something like that. Leah mentions that everything that Annie K fought for is still happening. And then I think the biggest other thing that we get here is that she keeps begging Leah to come home on New Year's and we know what's going to happen when she comes home. We know the current condition of the house on New Year's, if you will. And Just, we do get that teased in next on True Detective. Yeah, it's not, we don't really get it teased as to, we see Pete with blood on him and we see, we don't see that it's a direct correlation, but we see that Leah and Pete talk for sure. And um, she's in Danvers entryway. Is she? Okay. Yeah. But Pete looked dressed at least at that point. Like maybe some of the cleanup had already occurred, maybe, but we don't really know. Any deep dive into the bathroom decorations like we had in season two with Woodrow's girl. I wasn't paying attention. What'd you get? Oh, I got nothing. I was just throwing it out there. Yeah, I mean, I there was were a lot of spirals and there were some star-shaped weapons on the wall. That was interesting. I didn't see like any <laughs> butter butterfly fringe around the outside of the door that grabbed my eye. I do did you have... notice... Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, did you notice anything... Outside the house, across the street. I still didn't see the damn boat. Come on! I wasn't. I wasn't looking by the time. It I got looks there. like Popeye's tugboat. It seriously does. I bet. I bet. Jessica, old, help me out. I bet old Heist has a few boxes of Kleenex next to that tugboat. What? Oh, Jessica, did you see the tugboat? Jessica, I did. Did you watch the episode again? I watched parts of it. Or did you just dick ride Reddit the whole time? No, I watched parts of it, but... Old Jessica, raw dog, Reddit, Z. They should well, call okay, it... Okay, guys, I... Two men rewatch an episode and one burns the midnight oil on Reddit for three days. Do you want to know what I was doing while I was watching it again? I was helping my mom take down her ornaments, finally. Oh, my okay. gosh, Betty. That is a month-long job. So we've got... 
Hank watching Liz leaving that place. Is this where you think she checks the tail is right after she leaves here? This is where I thought I caught her checking the tail, but I still don't think she ever really caught him because then she goes three other places after that. But I do agree that it shows her checking her tail, but she didn't really do much with it. She could just be like checking in her mirrors. I do that. Maybe Liz knows the whole time. Don't count her out. So the only other thing that's a little weird here, we see Liz checking the stillborn bodies. It's of note that they can't dig any graves for a few months because the ground's frozen. Frozen, So something probably I wouldn't think about not having watched the show. There are parts of that cemetery is where I think we almost see those tusk photos. So what is weird, Danvers has a flashback in the scene where she's at that stillborn baby's memorial or whatever it is when she's in the bathroom. And one of the flashes she has, I thought it was maybe Holden's grave, but I almost think it's like a pre-flash to one of the graves here. Now, most of the graves are the graves that we see in the intro credits. But there is a more prominent grave that looks like either two whale bones or two tusks with a thing in the middle. And that is in her, what I thought was a flashback, that maybe was a flash forward. Dan, did you have notes on this? I was just going to say, we've actually seen this shot, I want to say in three different episodes. It's very familiar to me what you're describing, but nobody ever is actually physically there. So it almost seems like a set piece in and around Ennis is this graveyard as they're moving from one scene to another or having flashbacks or things. But yeah, it's been noted in my mind multiple times. I don't think so because I we know she doesn't move here till after Holden dies. Mm, So you would think where Holden was would have been like Fairbanks because he says you got worse after they died and I think that precluded sending her to Ennis. And so I don't think Holden was ever in Ennis is my guess. Just kind of weird. Anything else you've got on this, Jessica? Baby Graves. Nah, I would have taken Leah's word for it. I wouldn't have driven out there, but everything seems so close in this small town, so why not? I want my baby Graves, baby Graves, baby Graves, baby Graves. <laughs> so we've got Danvers back at the police office. Pete is there. She creeps into that evidence room as she's coming out. Hank's right there again. Any uncomfortability with her going in the evidence room to get drugs, Dan? No, I think we all kind of expected it, didn't we? Yeah, it's a classic. Cops do that. Yeah, it just always makes me feel uncomfortable whenever anybody does something illegal. Old Pollyanna over here. Uh, We did see this is kind of where she finally asked Hank if he talked to Connolly, And then that's where she grabs Pete into her office, closed the door. Who'd you talk to about Wheeler? We get this exchange with them. Did you have anything on this second pass through, Dan? No, I didn't pick up anything new. Jessica, anything from you? Ask again. Jessica, do you care to comment on this Wrong question. Ask again. Jessica, <laughs> do you want to eat shit? You need to like learn your, like when your to son. stop asking questions. <laughs> you need to learn to eat shit like your son. You need to learn to, when to stop asking questions. And no, I don't have anything else to add. I thought we covered that pretty well in the instant reaction. Yeah, a couple little quotes that I thought were interesting. She said something like Hank asking about what do they know about the mine? And then bingo, his son gives them a little present that was stuck in between lines. But her kind of theorizing what happened with Hank there. I thought that was kind of interesting. She gives the wrong question, ask again, three times before she asks if Wheeler was left-handed. I know we had some questions 
about the pictures or why they were switched. My thought is that they staged the gunshot with the right hand for him to shoot himself. And that photo is not switched. And then they had to try to match all the photos of abuse with the birthmark that they did reverse. Because otherwise, why reverse all those for her photos? injuries. Yeah. So I'm thinking maybe at the scene, they staged him to shoot with the right hand. And then did Navarro realize it and switch the pictures? Either one of two things happened when he asked if she knew that it was left-handed. Either Danvers is being truthful and she really didn't know and Navarro switched all the pictures or Danvers is lying in that moment. She did know, but she's answering questions. Why would she lie? But somebody switched all those photos to match the right-handed gun wound in theory. But my question is, just because you're right-handed doesn't mean you wouldn't punch... I think there's a lot of much ado about nothing switching all those photos. I think it caused more trouble than it was worth. Go ahead. If I'm right-handed, this is natural. And I buy into the narrative. No, but what about the punches, though? That's what I'm saying. You might throw a right hook. You might throw a left hook. Nah, I think that's, like, pretty standard police work. They can tell. Yeah, nice left hook, Marty. It's going to be real confusing when someone stages my murder because I'm a little amateur. Marty. Marty did it. They should have put Marty's gloves on before. He should have put Marty's gloves on before oh, he beat yeah, her ass. Yeah, it prevents. She, in her high school yearbook photo, looked very pretty as a zombie. What do you mean? What do you mean pretty. by that, Dan, as, as, a, as an older man? What do you mean about that high school photo? I'm just kidding. Uh, and he means as soon as they're out of high school. Like, <laughs> I didn't grab your lotion and Heiss's tissues and go to town. If that's what you're insinuating, you <laughs> sick fuck. Good God almighty. No, but I do think, yeah, it does show kind of the quick deterioration of like drugs and an abusive relationship. Because I don't think she's much older when she dies. I don't think so. I've got a pop quiz for you, too, to derail this even further. Cool. What is it? Craig, how long does it take to drive from Anchorage to Fairbanks? No clue. As six, somebody six that's... Hours. I want to guess. I want to guess. Okay, Jessica, you get the over or under Craig's answer of six hours. Ah, oh, fuck. Under. I'll take under. Six hours and 17 minutes. Ooh, Craig, that's right there. Yes. Beast. Alaska's big. So I was driving. And the only other town Thunder. of mention that's real is No Talk. Wait, Anchorage which, Fairbanks are. Which is like another 10 hours away, but seemingly close to where the imaginary Ennis is. So just learn a little bit as we're going through it, familiarizing myself with the area. Do you guys and, have anything else on this scene on the shooting? Um, I was going to say that I think that Navarro did the cleanup and that Danvers was unaware of the left-handedness, just based off reaction. Yeah, I believe that, and I still believe Navarro shot... The sheriff. Yeah, but she did not shoot the deputy. I still believe Navarro is the one who shot Wheeler. I think so, too. I'm going to say Danvers, just so I can be different. You um... are different. Yeah, because like, Navarro <laughs> was in a trance. She was useless. As smart as you are, you need to learn when to stop asking questions. Do you have any different read on that second pass through, Dan? No, I don't think I do. Jessica? This is so mean. Why should you mean to Pete? I guess she's like mad at him, but I mean, so I do you take it as that, Dan, or do you take it as she's learning the lesson now 
Navarro needed to learn the lesson. NEK needed to learn the lesson. Nobody's learning the lesson of like when to stop asking questions, question mark. I take it part that and also part of the parental role where sometimes your kids get smart enough that they point out a flaw in your own logic and you don't want to hear it. And so you just kind of throw a because I said so. And this is a little bit of a because I said so to Pete. I did think it was funny when she told him about going to the shack and she says, just don't be stupid. And then she says stupider right away. I did think that was funny. Yeah. Uh, next scene, we get Kovic with Navarro crawling into bed. Do you want to talk anything about this lovely scene, Jessica, of your power couple of the show? It was weird. I just thought it was weird. I was glad when she laughed. Two, two like, couples touching each other is pretty weird for you. Sharing a bed. Yeah, so odd. a lot of skin to skin contact. They still had clothes on. How come did... he didn't come after her with a gun this time? Because he, really, he wasn't the big know. spoon. He needed to be on the other <laughs> side for that. I, guess I didn't, didn't see her arrive when she's like, hi, honey bunny, it's me. I did think it was funny Kavik went to say something to her and she covered his mouth before he could even talk. So that Does she like Kavik? Yeah. I think she's just a weirdo. The song we get here is Die for You by Perfer Perfume Genius. Pryor is in Danvers Shack, cold as hell. Danvers goes to the lighthouse to pick up Heiss. This is where Heiss is specifically in the corner with stacks of crumpled up tissues saying no. <laughs> they go into the car. She says she's not letting him get high in her truck in public. She said He says, fuck you and fuck your cave. And this is where she calls Navarro to meet at her place. Anything on the second pass through Heiss. That song, Die For You, I thought maybe it means something. Wasn't is. I'm not familiar with the James Bond music, but I want to say there's a die for you on like by Adele or somebody that Skyfall. was nominated in yeah one of the James Bond movies. I was wondering if it was a remake because there's so many remakes and this episode ends on a remake, but I wasn't aware. I don't know Perfume Jesus or whoever this Genius. person is. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's an AI metal band. Could be. We do. When Pete arrives, just to your point, Craig, of what Hank knows when he arrives at Danvers, I'm kind of thinking that he might know that Pete's there if he knows that Heiss is there. So he's following Danvers when Pete's showing up at the shack. Yeah. He doesn't see Pete arrive. Oh, Pete was there first? I don't think he does yes. know. And I don't but think he, he does. You would yeah. hope that maybe he would know Pete's vehicle in the vicinity. We Why just don't Pete really know where it? we just if don't know Pete's where Pete parked or by the He would park or... somewhere secretly. Yeah, we just don't we don't really know the dynamic there. But I would guess he didn't have a clue that Pete was there for it to go. Right, down. there's nothing in the lead up that would make it obvious. That's for sure. He probably hid his car because he was supposed to keep it a secret from Kayla. Yeah. And she's the real detective and all this bull crap. So I did read something interesting about this, the way this scene played out. I think this is in that Variety article as well, that they kind of spent a day blocking this out. And it was like really Jodie Foster, Kaylee Reese, Finn, I forget his last name, that plays Bennett. Pete. And they were kind of like spending a lot of time blocking this out, almost more so than Issa Lopez. And it was Jodie Foster's idea to leave that gun on the island so like a lot of this wasn't necessarily scripted out they kind of worked it out 
to the point of she sent him to the bathroom, heist to the bathroom and said, take it easy and don't live a mess. I did have a note like it was just like all gray in that bathroom. I did notice that bathroom decor. And I was going to say little sharks do heroin in the bathroom, uh, <laughs> which I, I was wondering if I used that on the last podcast as well. But I just noticed that room was really gray. Um, which yours is more of a gray blue, right, Jessica? I don't even want to talk about the color. It's so upsetting. So Navarro's is headed to Danvers as this is going on. This is where we see that young girl that points. Did you have anything on this young girl pointing, Jessica? It was creepy, but I don't know. It doesn't, all the pointing stuff doesn't make sense to me. So that's like the one question I have for next. It's yeah. gotta be like a signs, all the water cups of water in the room and like they point at her and she finally looks and something <laughs> doesn't hit alien? her in the head or it could something. be god instead of the exorcist taking control of all these vessels hold the door so hank is at danvers door it seems i can't tell if they have these like opening ways that just anyone can open because in kayla's house it looked like danvers opened that first stage to get to the second stage i so, thought it was almost like a boot room, room. Or an yeah. entry room. Yeah, we don't really have those in Las Vegas, but yeah, it looks like it might be that he had already entered. It might be like older homes. But he does kind of, of force his way into her house. Like he kind of takes the opening and jars himself in. We agree with that, right? Yeah. And also that she hears somebody enter and she says, Navarro, you're yeah. here already. Yeah. Um, and then is surprised that it's Hank. So, and then obviously she goes, how did you know that Otis Heiss was here? And he's like, oh, he's here, blah, 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 blah. But it's like, he had to have known. He takes the gun. He says, just give him to me. Jesus Christ, does everything have to be a battle with you? Uh, no, I'm taking him. You know what's going wrong when he says, I'm going to do this the way you did, Wheeler. Um, talks about, you turned my kid against me. We didn't really talk about him shooting Heiss, but he kind of shoots Heiss almost in a quick, reaction but then he shoots set heist the second time very intentionally and like in the back of the head yeah that's the kill. and that's going to be a hard one for anyone to explain that second wound in the back of his fucking head moron did you guys have anything on this i mean i guess we can go a little further we get pete shows up with gun drawn danvers is telling him think i did see from the guy who played the actor they did describe this scene as almost a suicide by cop where basically if his son has sided with Danvers and his son's not going to side with him, plus what happened with the mail order bride that he's basically got no reason to live. So either Pete's going to side with him or he's just going to die, but that it is a little bit of a suicide by cop there as far as the actor was concerned. So um, season three call out one is that no the native american guy that was um, oh yeah a little bit yeah how he gets hazed to yeah. forcibly yeah. have to kill him yeah in that moment it's his only way out yeah i mean i think he was okay if pete would have sided with him Brett but if, woodard yes correct that's thank you name. good call woodard good job sling blade yeah i just thought that was an interesting take on that and I did see in the second watch, Jessica, which you may not have caught, depending on how detailed your second watch was, he gave them plenty of runway for Pete to shoot him about, like you were mentioning that he cut him off during the Annie K portion or the move the body. After he talked about that Annie K portion, he still had time to say blood is blood, Peter, 
remember that before he drifted the gun towards Danvers and he shot him. So I don't think he was trying to specifically cover for Pete there or Pete was, Pete was shooting him to cover for himself. Because before you kept talking, if you rewatch it, it it doesn't really play out quite that way. I thought it was closer, like you said, but on a second watch, I don't think it's that close. Did you have anything on this, Dan, on your second watch? No, but I'm trying to understand what you're implying here. So the Jessica camp is that Jessica had for Pete and Pete shoots him right away to shut him up. Pete. Jessica yeah. was suggesting that Hank was saying well, not- that he that Hank didn't move the body, but that Pete potentially shot Annie Kay and that Pete oh. shot him before he could say anything else implicating Pete. Maybe okay, and you're kind of pushing back Katie. on that a little bit. Yeah. So in that second watch, he says, I didn't I just want to make it clear. I didn't kill Annie Kay. I just moved her body. But then after that, he still says, what is blood? Pete, remember that like he still has. There's a few beats after that before he got shot. It's not quite on top of each other to cut him off from saying something about Pete. As Pete is hugging, or as as Danvers is hugging Pete after that, did you have anything else on that scene or did you want to address that at all, Jessica? I still just think it's awful to have to clean that up. Also, I wonder what diseases. He better be careful of cleaning up Heiss's blood. Yeah, so we got nothing breaks like a heart. I think by Clea, unless my autocorrect is wrong, is the song. Navarro shows up, which we said she had nothing to do. No idea what she was walking into. I did think it was an interesting overhead shot of the three of them with the bodies, with the gun on the floor. It was like a quiet shot of kind of what the fuck, where the fuck do we go from here? Did you see that overhead shot at all, Dan? I did. And with you talking about the blocking, I think it is... I've been concerned with the character dynamics and I want to say Liz and Pete are very close together. Navarro kind of taking in the situation and then all three of them kind of get on the same page here in, in very short succession. Yeah. I did think it was interesting that Liz wanted to call Connolly, which is probably the worst thing they could have done in that circumstance. And I think the way that Navarro appeals to Liz is by telling her if that we call Connolly, the kid's going to go, that kid's going down. So I think in mm-hmm. protection of Pete is a big part of what turns her here, but Good she point. does rightfully say he will bury every single one of us, which I think is also true. And she kind of comes up with this idea that this didn't happen. Hank shot him. Basically, I think the thought process is they know Hank was going to shoot him anyway. They were going to have Hank fall in the water when he was trying to dispose of the body. That's the thought process there. Is that what you yep. understood, Dan? Yeah, and it was all going to get lost in the storm. And then, yeah, the storm. And I didn't know with that, too, if the storm was going to help cover that part of it and or also help them trying to get into the caves and not be seen either from cameras or just their actual tracks going in there or not. And then we get Pete really driving that he needs to be the one to clean this up, that she's not going to be able to do this alone, Ari Navarro. To your point, Dan, we got the you can good, get the bodies to Rose Agnew, take me to Julia, say it, take me to Julia. Any thoughts on this wrap up, Jessica? No, I'm excited for their adventure next week into the mines, into the tunnels, through the mines. Caves. Dan, any second pass at this on this end scene here? No, but I do want to underscore for anybody that didn't listen to our instant reaction I gave this a 9.0. I stand by the 9.0. It is a really well done episode. 
And now as we're nearing the end of it, I really appreciate it even on the second watch. Jessica, did you feel better about it on the second watch? Same, mm-hmm. any changes to your score? Same, I just wanted to add two things that I think maybe we'll see in the finale. Okay. Okay, so I've been trying to say that like Pete and Annie might've been banging. Now I feel like maybe he was trying to be like getting into the activism and stuff with her. And that's why. You're saying Pete was trying to get in the activism? Yeah, because he was like 17 and angsty at that like at that time, just like Leah. So maybe Danvers sees Pete in Leah. I hope and... not, literally. Yeah, I hope My neck I also hurts. hope not. Kayla hopes not. And also just the revisiting the Blair thing. I thought that maybe if she is involved, that she could have gotten injured while committing the crime and could have staged the thing with her husband for the injury they could have called him i don't know grandma bucket grandma could have been like you know blair's here or whatever and wants to fight just whatever to get him there riled up and cause him to hit her or it's to cause all him a to sequel to the blair witch or to cause her to hit him because he's not a minor either so he might be a townswoman as well I could see a scenario where they got into a fight because he didn't know where Blair was the night before. And so that's what led to that. And so it was a consequence of that. But them actually staging a fight to cover her crimes, I think, is definitely in our Jessica tinfoil hat category. And to your first point, I think we're going to see that Clark was maybe wanting to be more involved in the stuff that Annie Kay was involved in. And Clark's definitely in a tunnel. I mean, it's got a ladder. Show me a natural cave with a ladder. So I do have this at a 9.0 still, no real revision for me. I don't know. I mean, the first time watched through on an episode like this is always going to be more impactful, but I, I do still think it was a good episode. I guess the only other note I had before we totally move on, we got the save tonight, which was, I guess, is Eagle Eyed Cherry the original band? I think, I think he's so. more of a solo artist than a band. Okay, is Eagle Eyed um, Cherry got a, a lot of radio play in the 90s. And this is another sad, terrible version of a song this, that wasn't that great. To is this, begin. but I thought this was a fun song, but is this, it said Eagle Eyed Cherry on the artist in the subtitles, but this looks like it's a cover of that song, right? That's what I took it as. It didn't sound anything like the yeah, original. I thought it was a cover. I thought it was fun. It was a fun, I don't know if that song was ever on Dawson's Creek or something, or she's I, all yeah, bad. Or, sounds about right. On the trailer. We see Pete with his shirt off, so we get more Pete abs with blood cleaning. He asks Leah for a favor, but he appears to be clothed, I think, at that time. We get Danvers and Navarro's in caves. There's a guy that says she's awake, which made me think maybe that's Clark's voice. We hear Danvers say they never should have touched this case, and we ultimately see Danvers and Ice. Did any of you guys have any... Thing you wanted to hit on from this trailer or thoughts about what's coming so do we see danvers in ice or do we see danvers falling through the ice we see her in water. water we yeah. see i mean we see her fully immersed in water yeah and that's one of the teases that i want to say they have beaconed quite a bit and teased us with way back to even before the season started i mean we get a yeah, lot of stuff like this in the credits. intro yeah but it still makes me think if like Navarro is going to end up in there or not, because it's so obvious we're going to get Danvers. Are we going to get Navarro in there or is it just a Danvers only 
scene or scenes. We and know that ice is thin as glass. That would be the only other thing I would point out on that previous scene too, is that he talks about driving Pete to the hospital and having to keep Pete awake. So we know that's like the post ice protocol and how long how it felt like it took forever. So I'm just wondering if we're going to get like Danvers driving to a hospital, trying to keep her awake, like that kind of thing. Like, I think that Pete ice scene was maybe some table setting for the some Danvers setup. ice scene we're going to get. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Prestige-ish Media Podcast. In this episode, we cover True Detective Night Country, a.k.a. True Detective Season 4, Episode 5, Night Country Part 5. I was your host for this episode, Craig Lake. Co-hosting with me for this episode was Jessica Z and Dan McNair. You can find our show at Prestige-ish Media on Instagram and prestige underscore ish on X. You can find me at Real Real Batman on both. You can find Jessica Z at Jobless Dog Mom and Dan McNair at Dan McNair 1017, both on Instagram and X. For listeners that want to stay with us after Night Country, we will be diving into the boys next as we make our way to season four of that show. We also plan on covering Fallout on Amazon, The Jinx Season 2, and House of the Dragon on HBO later this year. Thank you again for listening. If you can, please like and subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms. We hope you will join us for another episode of the Prestige-ish Media Podcast soon. Well, kind of Ice like, looks like he'd been pleasuring himself for a month. Just, that that's kind of the running joke with me and Jessica. Me and Jessica are no, notorious for dry hands. And so I have bottles of lotion everywhere, but I'm so worried about being like confused about consistently, you know, wanking it. Look how much better they are now that I've been are in they, Florida. Yeah, oh. mine are still not doing so well. Wow. <laughs> so you're saying you have a well-moisturized penis? No, I don't. Just <laughs> taking all the moisture from the rest of his body, Dan. Jessica, Dan. did you have an extra finger removed? I mean, what am I looking at here? That's my hand. That's just what it looks like. Oh my gosh, you have man hands. That's <laughs> almost like a mer hand. Do, Wait, do you like okay, swim you... faster? Do you have webbed fingers? Oh my god, it's getting manlier. The oh my god. Jeez, that, she that's some kind sort of, of a. I feel like I'm adding my wrist to it and now it just looks like I'm not seeing what she's I'm not seeing what she sent you but you sent me one that you had sent to Jen a while ago and it was just like a really bad angle